I don't know. Uh, if you've gone to a church and it felt lifeless. When uh, I was at the seminary, I had an opportunity to preach in different, different churches in New England. And there are churches that I went to that it was, it felt to me in some of those churches that there was no life at all. And then there are churches that I went to and I could tell that there was life. In churches that uh, I didn't feel the life, one of the things that I saw, some of them were small churches, one of them were big churches. I remember a small church in Boston. A, the building is big, but there were like six people in it. And one of the things that I noticed was those six people could not sit in one place. One of them was seated, the deacon, was seated in front, there was someone else at the end there, then there was someone like they were spread, and this is a big building. And so one of the things that caught my attention was the lack of fellowship. I don't think they have a fellowship together. It didn't feel like they belonged to one another. And then the big churches, one of the biggest churches I preached at was in Rhode Island. Very big. And they were very busy with so many programs. They, you could tell they enjoyed the presence of one another, but they were more focused on the programs and the activities that they have as a church rather than the worship. The word of God was not their priority. The same thing happened with the small church. The word of God was not their priority. And you can always tell uh, when God's word is a priority. And in my opinion, that is one of the things that is ailing our churches today where we have moved our focus from that which is supposed to give us life to other things. Things that may make us happy for some time, but they, they don't give us the life that we need in the Lord. And that's why I'm asking this morning, what is it that makes us one of the things I have seen in America and heard from the people, you will hear people saying these statements, statements that contradicts or rather express their positions positions that contradict scriptures 
without fear. They would say, I am stubborn. I'm very stubborn. They're saying, I'm not going to agree with you because I'm stubborn. That's who I am. Or you will hear someone saying, that is my story and I'm sticking to it. In other words, they're telling you, you can say what you want. I will still remain where I am. Or you will hear someone saying, this is the position my church takes on this issue. So they are telling you, it doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter what you think the Bible says, this is the position that our church takes. You will hear those statements from Baptists, from Presbyterians, from Charismatics, and other denominations as well. But the most popular one is someone saying, this is what I believe. As if what you believe changes what the word of God says. See, just because I believe something, it doesn't turn it into truth. Right? And that's why I'm asking, what makes us teachable? Here at Southside Bible Fellowship, we continue to believe and to remind ourselves that since the Bible is the word of God, and that every person, every man, every woman who believes in Jesus Christ is a child of God, let us say it together, the Bible is God's word for us. It is warm in here, and so I'm going to require your participation so that we can encourage one another, okay? I don't pray for me while I'm preaching. Don't pray for me, okay? I want to see your participation. I know there are people who are fond of praying when the pastor is preaching. You'll see them. For now, don't pray for me. <laughs> Father, I want to thank you as we come before you this morning to look into your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit may minister to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit may illuminate our minds. We pray that you may give us a submissive attitude so that we may accept your word as it is. So that, Lord, through it, you may continue to transform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. For in his name we pray. Amen. So Paul, we saw last Sunday, he was afraid. He was discouraged because of what he saw in Corinth. And then the Lord appeared to him in a vision and encouraged him, assured him of his presence and encouraged him not to be afraid. And then Paul ended up staying in Corinth for 18 months. In our text today, he, he travels around visiting brothers and sisters 
encouraging them, strengthening the disciples, the scripture says. We are also told that uh, he cut his hair because of a vow that he was made. Now, we don't know what kind of a vow it was, but people could make a vow for a certain period of time, and when the time came, they would cut their hair, and those hair would be taken to the temple. That's why he goes to Jerusalem, where they're going to be offered as, a, as an offering. Okay? to show that you have completed the vow that you had taken. But we are told when you come to, to verse 23, when you come to verse 23, as Paul traveled in those other places, let me do something here. As he traveled to those other places, I want us to pay attention to verse 24. Paul, after spending time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the saints. Verse 24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Listen to this. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He knows the scriptures. Luke wants us to know that Apollos knows the scriptures and he is educated. He comes from Alexandria. That's where one of the largest libraries is. He is, he is well informed. And then listen to this. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, so he attended a seminary, and he spoke with great, how do you pronounce that? Father. Okay, I was right. And taught about Jesus accurately. Though he knew only the baptism of John. So this is a guy that uh, knows the scripture, has been trained very well on the scriptures. He is a good speaker. He is eloquent. He is good. He is effective in his communication. And he teaches about Jesus accurately. So there is a reason that that word is included there. And, and you will see that. But, if, but, but also we are told, but he only knew about the baptism of John the Baptist. So, so that opens us up to his limitation, to something that wasn't right on his understanding. Even though he knows the scripture, he's a good communicator, he doesn't know Jesus well, because if he only knows the baptism of John, the baptism of John was preparing people for the coming Messiah. 
So if he is teaching accurately about Jesus, he is teaching the Jews about the coming Messiah. And as far as the scriptures are concerned, he is accurate. Because he is preparing them for the coming Messiah, because that's how far he has come in his knowledge. So he is using the scriptures, and there are so many scriptures that are pointing to the coming Messiah. And then they are fulfilled in the New Testament, because the Messiah comes. But he is stuck in those scriptures. And then there is this couple Priscilla and Aquila, they're also Jews, they're, they're, they are believers, they are mature believers, they are wise. They attend one of Apollo's services. Listen to what the scripture says. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. The guy is fearless. When Priscilla and Aquila hear him, they invite him to their home. So Priscilla and Aquila attend this service in a synagogue. They hear this wonderful speaker. They invite him to their home because there is something they have noticed. And by the way, Priscilla's name comes first here, even though she is the wife. But it also said, shows that she was kind of leading this, this, this house. And the husband allowed it. So they were ministering together. Priscilla probably was more gifted than her husband. And so she was more effective in the ministry and her husband was there supporting her. So they invite him to their house. Do you know what they could have done, Priscilla and Aquila? They could have stopped him right there in the synagogue. They could have said, Apollos, no, <laughs> you are wrong. That's, that's not how we teach here. But they invited him in their house. And what did they do when they invited him? We are told they explained to him the way of God more adequately. So they invited him for the purpose of correcting him. He spoke about Jesus accurately. They invited him and explained to him adequately. You are accurate when you are looking at the scriptures and saying the Messiah is coming because that's how far you have come. But we know that the Messiah has already come. In your theology, there is something that is missing. 
That's what Priscilla and Aquila are telling Apollos. There is something that you are missing. We are here to help you. And Apollo could have said, no, that's my position and I'm sticking to it. He could have said, no, that's my theology and I'm not changing it. He could have said, that's my denominational position. I am a Baptist. Because he only knew about John the Baptist. But no. Apollos, we are told, after he had been explained this, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him. Now they know that he knows the truth. He understands Jesus adequately. They encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. Now listen, before he understood Jesus adequately, he was speaking in synagogues. They were listening to him because he was telling them what they believed, that the Messiah was coming. See here, he was great help to those who by grace had believed. Now he's speaking to believers. And then you see verse 28, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scripture scripture that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, he's no longer looking, waiting for the coming Messiah. He now understands that the Messiah has already come. And now, he's debating with the Jews. Now, he is refuting the same theology that he was proclaiming. There's a change. Apollos is able to do this because he is teachable. He has a teachable attitude. There is growth in his life because he is teachable. Look at First Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians chapter three. He becomes effective in ministry. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. In fact, you can, read, uh, you can read from verse 1 if you want, but I'm just going to focus on verse 5 here because Paul is responding to the Corinthians because of Apollo's effectiveness. Some people are, are saying, I belong to Apollos. Others say, I belong to Paul. And Paul is addressing that. He says, what... After all is Apollos. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. Verse 6, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. Paul is acknowledging that Apollos has become effective in the ministry. But it's because 
Priscilla and Aquila took time to explain to him when they noticed the mistake, the error in his theology. And because Apollos was willing to submit to the truth. Now, there are two things we can learn from this. One, we should not look down to people who don't understand. So we should not uh, point fingers when we see someone who does not understand the scriptures well. We should use the opportunity to teach them. That should always be our desire. It's okay to notice a theological mistake, but our goal is to restore people. Our goal is to encourage people, and therefore, let's use the opportunity to explain. If you believe you know the truth, use the opportunity to explain the truth to them. Invite them at your house. Go at Dunkin' Donuts, sit down, you know, use an, uh, the opportunity that you have and tell them, you know, I heard you say this. And uh, that's not exactly what the scripture says. Explain to them. And if they are teachable, if they accept that, they are going to grow in their lives, in their ministry. That's one thing. Let us not look down towards those who are yet to understand adequately. Let us use the opportunities we have to explain the truth to them. If you claim to know the truth and you are keeping it to yourself, probably it's not the truth. If you know the truth, you will want others to know also. The second thing that I see here is that a teachable attitude opens a door to an effective ministry. Apollo's teachable attitude opens a door for him to minister. The believers write a letter to other believers so that they can receive him, welcome him, and he ends up being effective minister of the gospel because of his teachable attitude. There are many Christians that are there, that are where they were five years ago. Because they are not teachable. Doesn't matter. You can invite them to your house a thousand times. And they will still remain the way they were ten years ago. They are not teachable. Why are we teachable? What makes us teachable? That is a question that we will continue to explore. Let's come to chapter 19. While Apollos is ministering in Corinth, Paul goes to Ephesus. In Ephesus, he finds 
12 disciples of John the Baptist. And he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they say, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. We know nothing about him. Again, like Apollos, these disciples, they only know about the baptism of repentance. Now, Apollos was a little bit further because he had understanding of Jesus Christ. He actually believed, but was still looking forward for his coming. These disciples, are only they only experienced the baptism, and they were stuck there. That's why Paul asks them, then what baptism did you receive? And they say, John's baptism. Uh, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance and forgiveness that prepared people for the coming of the Messiah. John the Baptist said that I have come to prepare the way. I am not the way. I am preparing the way. He was preparing people for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The baptism that Jesus commands, the one that he tells his disciples in Matthew 28, go and preach the gospel to every creature and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That baptism is different from the baptism of John because this baptism of Jesus Christ is for those who believe in Jesus Christ. This baptism that Jesus commands does not prepare people for the coming Messiah. It is a confirmation that these people believe on the Messiah that already come that already came and accomplished his work on the cross. John's, the bap John's baptism is looking forward. Jesus' baptism is looking backward. John's baptism is waiting for Jesus. The baptism that Jesus commands uh, proclaims that Jesus has already come. That's why Apollos now starts refuting the Jews and he tells them that Jesus is the Messiah. That person that we rejected is the Messiah. He tells them that. Before he was telling them the Messiah is coming because that's what John was teaching. The disciples here, they have no understanding of the Holy Spirit because they have no understanding of what Jesus had come to accomplish, they are yet to receive the Holy Spirit, which means they are not saved. That's why Apollos doesn't get baptized. That's why Apollos, we, we don't see him receiving the Holy Spirit. We are not told that. But here we are told these ones, when they had this, the scripture says, On hearing this, in verse 5 of chapter 19, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can say they were actually re-baptized. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there is also a teachable attitude here. They could have said, no, we've already been baptized and we are sticking to it. But they hear the scriptures, they submit to it. And we are told Paul placed his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. The baptism of the Holy Spirit now takes place. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied and they were about 12 men. Before we look at what makes us teachable, let's look at what makes us unteachable. I think one of the reasons we are unteachable, no, not one of the reasons we are unteachable. We are not unteachable. One of the reasons people are unteachable, I'm talking about people out there, is because of ignorance. They don't know. But another reason is false teachings. They have been taught differently and they believed it. Let me give you an example. My sister, when she was in high school, there's a preacher who came in Kenya in high schools. Preachers come to speak. They actually have what they call pastoral program, where every week a pastor is invited to come and speak to the students. So she was in a boarding school. There's a preacher who came. They had a, a youth rally. And this preacher, he told them that it is not wrong for you to have a boyfriend who is not saved. In other words, it is not wrong for you to have a relationship as a girl. It was a girl's school with a, a, a man who is not saved. Now, that went deeper than that. I'm trying to be sensitive because we have children here. And my sister came home and we were talking and, and she shared this. And I told her, no, that's wrong. And I am her brother. I care for her. I had come from a Bible college, so I knew the scriptures. I showed him the scriptures. My sister never believed anything. I said, she believed the preacher who came to their school, and that ended up messing her life. Because she believed the words that came from someone who claimed to be a man of God, but were misleading. And probably, he was a very good speaker. She did not. I remind her even today when we meet. 
if you had believed what I was telling you, because now she looks back and she, she's mature now and she knows that wasn't right. But you know, one of the reasons she held on to that so strongly is also because that's what she wanted to do. And that false teachings, they catch people's attention they get people's attention because in most cases, they tell people what people want to hear. They give people an excuse to hold on to what they want to and to do what they want to. And that makes people unteachable. They refute the truth because they have embraced and believed a lie. So there is ignorance where people don't know, but there is also false teachings. And number three is pride and arrogance. Who are you to tell me? That is your opinion. You know, Americans like that. Everyone has his own opinion. Pride and arrogance. And uh, there are so many Christians whom God would have used effectively, but they will miss those opportunities because of pride and arrogance because they are not willing to be taught. They don't want to submit to the truth of God's word. Pride and arrogance. Phil here is one of the people that has been of great encouragement to me. Phil. You don't know that, maybe. Phil has been of great encouragement to me. For those who, who don't know, Phil's dad was a pastor in this church. Phil, at a certain time, he was a youth pastor, right? Were you a youth pastor? Too? Oh, your brother was the youth pastor. But there are several times Phil has told me he has told me that uh, I'm so glad that you said that because for so many years I never saw it that way. Now when you hear that from someone like Phil, that's very encouraging. And I'm not saying this to be braggadocious. Some of you will have to look in the dictionary for that. But I'm saying this to tell you that it doesn't matter how old we are. The room for improvement is always there. And if we are teachable, God will continue to teach us. He will do that. He will. 
If we are willing, he will continue to teach us. And so, Phil, thank you. And, and there are several of you that have, I just picked Phil because I like him. <laughs> but there are many of you that have, <laughs> have said, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, huh? No, I don't like him. I love him. <laughs> what about me, Pastor? <laughs> Ignorance, false teachings, pride, and arrogance makes us unteachable. So what makes us teachable? It is the willingness to submit to God's truth even when it contradicts our beliefs. The willingness to submit to God's truth even when it contradicts our beliefs. And I'm telling you as a Christian, especially if you've been a Christian for so long, that's the hardest thing. That's the hardest challenge that you will face. The willingness to submit for you to allow God's word to contradict your theology. You bring a Pentecostal here and tell them you don't have to speak in tongues if you are, an, if you are a Christian. And they will find it so difficult to accept that. Even if you bring Jesus before them and tell them, look at Jesus, he never spoke in tongues. You can be like Jesus without speaking in tongues. They will still find it so difficult to accept that. And the goal of God is to make us like Jesus. That is his goal. He is transforming us to the image of his son who never spoke in tongues. But you know whom we want to go to? Oh, Paul says. See, we end up picking what encourages us to remain where we are, where we have always been. Because we want to avoid the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you how you can avoid the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Reject God's word. Just reject it. Just say, this is my position and I'm sticking to it. The Holy Spirit will take a step back. Because you will quench him. We become teachable when we are willing to submit to God's word even when it contradicts our beliefs. I told you here, I, I went to a, a very conservative Baptist Bible college very conservative where everyone else was wrong and we were right 
the way everyone else sang was wrong. The way they prayed was wrong. The way they preached was, they did not even know the scriptures. We were the people of the scriptures. That's a very bad attitude. Because you become unteachable. It gives you a lot of pride. And then I came to the seminary and I met different kinds of people. And I started searching the scriptures for myself. And when I now started reading the scriptures for my personal convictions, a lot of things that I believed earlier began to change. And I gained more confidence, not on what I believe, but on what God's word says. And that's why I will challenge any of you and any other person who listens to us. If you hear me or when you hear me say something and it is wrong scripturally, come and tell me. Don't only come and tell me, come and show me. In fact, you are very free even when the service is going on to raise up your hand. Feel free. Raise up your hand, say, Pastor! <laughs> Feel free to do that. And I'm telling you from the deepest part of my, of my heart, when you show me and I realize that I was wrong, I will be the first one to admit that. Because it doesn't profit me Anything holding on to something that is unscriptural. The only place we'll disagree is when you start talking about denominational positions. We will not agree there. Because denominations don't own the Bible. The Bible owns the church. The Bible is not a book of the church. The church is the church of the Bible. Without the Bible, the church does not exist. The church does not have any strength, no breath, no life without God's word. The church does not own God's word. God's word must own the church. Now, take a deep look at yourself, sincerely, and ask yourself, is there something that I believe in that the Holy Spirit is asking me to change, something that contradicts God's word. In Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, David says to the Lord, he says, search me, O God. Test me, test my heart, and see if there is any unclean way in me, and lead me to the way everlasting. 
That should be the attitude of every believer. Search me, O oh God. Try my heart. Taste me. And see if there is any unclean way, if there is anywhere in this life I have moved away from the path of righteousness, help me so that I may get back. Because you may be accurate, but you are not inadequate. You may be accurate, but you may not be adequate and use this time to ask the Lord to reveal to you if there is anything in your life that is stopping you from submitting to the truth the truth that God has revealed to you Father, I want to thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray that, Lord, you continue to nourish us. You continue to convict us and to lead us. And that, Father, you may be glorified in every step as we continue to submit to your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit who works in us may enable us to respond to the truth of your word without fear and with the confidence that this is what you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.